where nobody knows your name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Hello, and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. Five seasons, John. Five seasons. Wow. This is a big one, James. End of an era by Diane. Yeah. This is, uh, I was going to say, the bookend closes a chapter. It does. Yeah. And I suppose it's a milestone for us as well. This is, uh, I, I, I probably should have looked up how many weeks worth of Cheers content we've been oh, doing. Oh, many. I'm not counting anymore. 130-ish. Well, as always, I'm John. I'll go with James today. Yeah, <laughs> that's who I'll be today. As James has implied, we, this is our, our big review of season five. Maybe a kind of soft season one to five Diane era. What did you think of this season? What's your brief review of this season compared to other seasons? It felt like a long season. It did feel like a long season, yeah. But what I noticed was a lot of iconic moments happen in season five. Ones that you sort of, in the zeitgeist of cheers, some iconic things, which I'm sure we'll get into in this discussion, happen in this season. I have much a similar response. I think there were a few standouts in this Mm. season because of those key moments. My top five from this season are easily some of my favourite episodes of cheers. But overall, I think season four was slightly better in how the stories and themes connected throughout the season. Mm, This one's definitely got some... uh... Maybe I suppose you'd call them fillers, filler episodes. Yes, I think this season was burdened with trying to tie up the Sam and Diane relationship. Mm. Whilst also juggling the new parts that it sort of put in it as it built over four years. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'll tell you what, James, whilst we kick off, I'm going to do a ritualistic opening of the bottle because we are celebrating this episode, James. It's the end of an era, as we said. Where shall we begin? Begin with a bit of behind the scenes as to particularly the latter half of this season Mm -hmm. in that Shelley Long uh, left Cheers. She didn't sign the renewal of her contract and she did this to focus on a movie career and family. Yeah, which I I suppose, I think, I guess at least in this this review that we've been doing in our week to week podcast, long time coming. But I think it was kind of in the zeitgeist at the time as well that her contract was coming up. It was known. We didn't mention it because we don't know all your listeners there. We know you have varied knowledge of Cheers. So we didn't want to spoil anything for those who didn't know how season five would end. I had a clue, James. Mm? The box sets are, are pretty much uh, <laughs> <divided> pretty clearly. <laughs> Gave me a hint. I've been watching Cheers the first time. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a section and the other section. <laughs> TBC, to, to be confirmed. What's coming next? Mm. Not Diane. <laughs> But yeah, I, I, like you say, well, let's talk about the behind the scenes of what was happening then. By the middle of the season, there were rumours flying in, in, I suppose, the tabloids mm. that Shelley Long was going to quit Cheers. And this was confirmed at the end of the season. I suppose in a lot of ways, if that same kind of thing of a show of this magnitude, if a main character was leaving, if that aired now, it would have got out. It would have leaked. Yeah, I'm trying to think what's what's kind of done that recently where and actually pulled it off. I don't think sitcoms do very much anymore. No, sitcoms don't. I know dramas like The Walking Dead have had, had oh, yeah. have had main characters leave. Even those get leaked sometimes, though. But yeah, I can't think of a sitcom recently which has had a main character leave, apart from when they've been fired, such as Roseanne. <laughs> and yeah, I think it's a big change for the series, really. And uh, we, we mentioned that the box set is quite definitive. I think the tone is as well from what I've heard. But we'll reminisce backwards for this review. We never really look forward in our reviews anyway. <laughs> So I tell you what, Jay, should we, should we recap some of the story arcs or do we, have, do we have any more behind the scenes stories first? We have some notes on the alternate endings. 
which mm-hmm. is exciting. The alternate ending in which they do marry aired on 27th of May, 1998, as part of a 90-minute Fox special at the Paley Center called Behind the Laughs, the untold story of television's favorite comedies, a museum of television and radio special. There was another alternate ending, which they neither married nor didn't get married. Uh, We don't know what it is, but you speculated in the season finale what Mm -hmm. it could be, with a little bit of murder. (laughs) It's a Sam on death row, right? yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, have you have you seen the alternate ending, James? I have. It, they say I do, but as a bicker. Yeah, which is very Sam and Diane. Yeah, so the box set is quite definitive, and I guess this will be quite nice, James, because this is our closing chapter to that first box set in the ultimate collection of Cheers. Cheers Part One. <laughs> it's a, the Old Testament of Cheers, right? <laughs> and Cheers, we've already had a few cast changes in Cheers with Coach. Becoming Woody. Becoming, <laughs> becoming Woody. Yeah, I suppose he does in some ways. i tell you what, I think this was a shining moment for Woody this season. I think he got a lot of good moments. This was something which I found a bit interesting. In his sort of arc of this series, there's some kind of jeopardy of Woody leaving the bar. I wasn't sure what that was about. Misdirection. It was. And, well, a similar thing happened with Relief Bartender, remember? Mm. Yeah, why are they always trying to get rid of Woody in these these scripts? It's because that's the jeopardy. Everyone loves him so much, actually. Yeah, he came in all smiley and happy. <laughs> Not Woody! <laughs> well, I suppose that's basically Woody's arc of this season. Is he going? Isn't he going? Yeah, it's about finding his place in Boston. It's about mm. letting go of his past quite a bit because Beth also broke up with him. Yeah, he kind of uh, he has to let go of some of his old old ways and sort of establish himself in a new town. And I think that's yeah. quite a fun thing. I don't think much happens with Cliff, really. His arc is uh, fairly linear. <laughs> doesn't go up, doesn't go down. Oh, it does go down a bit. Cliff is attempting to broaden his horizons with new friends and success so he can mm. move out of his mother's house because hes it's only alluded to a couple of times, but he's trying to sell his mum's house. Mm. I suppose he has one episode, Dog Bites Cliff, where he gets a small hint of romance, <laughs> but not much else other than that, really, for him this season. We also have Norm, and Norm had some... some very uh, poignant moments in this season where he accepts, you know, that he's failed in his money-making schemes and he's kind of become accustomed to just being a part of the corporate machine. Yeah, I suppose he has some ups and downs, but he kind of levels off into something that he's happy with, which I think is quite quite nice. I mean, uh, Norm is kind of, uh, I suppose he's supposed to be the normal guy. Is yeah. that a pun? Was that, was that the writers all along? <laughs> he's, yeah, probably, yeah. Just your average Joe. Of course, Sam and Diane was their long proposal and their eventual marriage, and that proposal went on for far too long. (laughs) Speaking of, Frasier moves on from Diane, and his relationship with Lilith is blooming this season. Which I think is probably one of the most uh, interesting parts of this season. It's only two episodes, but I think it's... uh, They nailed it, though. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think after the back of this season, that's what I want more of, I think. More Frasier and Lilith. But then again, if I want more Frasier, maybe, maybe I'm on the wrong sitcom, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Carla finally gets closure on her relationship with Nick in some ways, as Nick moves to the other side of the country. Yeah, and if, uh, if people don't know, this season also aligned with the Tortellis launching, which we did review on our Patreon, four of our patrons aren't there. But yeah, that was an interesting development to get Nick and Loretta back and sort of see them off for new pastures. Quick trivia for you, John. Yeah. Although Tortellis was the first spin-off of Cheers, it was mm-hmm. one of 
two ideas for the first spin-off mm-hmm. of Cheers. Can you tell me what the other idea for a spin-off was? It was a, an Origins of Coach, wasn't it? A period piece. Yeah, where Coach would narrate his baseball days. That would have been quite fun. Yeah. But uh, too, too expensive on the budget to make a period piece, I think. That's what, that's what the excuse was uh, given. Well, it's also because of Nicky C's health, waning health, and when he died they went well we'll go with the other idea what could have been i would have liked to see that i'm quite interested in baseball i've been watching the mlb leading up to the world series who, who are you supporting then are you going are you going red sox yet? i can't say that on air i can't say who i'm supporting <laughs> on air but there, there are a few teams who have been playing particularly well you keep your secrets then james you keep your secrets but if i was a betting man i'd be quite confident in who i think would get through to the world series I too am confident in who I'm supporting. Now we both sound like we've got the same level of knowledge, James. <laughs> we've talked about some, uh, you said overcome, Carla's overcome her, uh, I was going to say loss of Nick. I think she's glad to ditch him. And she finds a new love. Canadian hockey star. Yeah, I think that was an, uh, a curveball that no one was expecting. Or should I say a, a curve puck? Yeah. <laughs> Sports. <laughs> And he's a hockey goalie, and I think that was quite a, a good two-part episode. The only two-parter of this season, but I, what I will say, this season, previous seasons have done it as well, but this season probably more so. It serialises the the comedy into more of a longer form, makes more of a long-form story across the whole season. It's quite episodic, and we touched on this in the early episodes of this season. It does get a little repetitive, particularly in the first half, where it's, will you marry me? No. Well. <laughs> How about now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think we've recapped the story arcs of the characters, James. Should we go into the themes? What are these underlying themes of the season? Oh, there's many. I'll give you that. There's romance, obviously. There's a lot of reputation, legacy, and status. Mm. Uh, and how that works with fame, you know, it, mostly with Sam, but also towards the end of the season with Diane and, as you said, Eddie mm. Lebec there. Yeah, I think that's, I think especially the, the couples and relationships thing as I noted down as a running theme, because in addition to the Sam and Diane relationship, I'm going to list off some episodes here, James. This is a, a season review after all. Other episodes that deal with couples, Money Dearest, Abnormal Psychology, The Book of Samuel, Spellbound, Neville of a Goalie Part 1 and 2, Dog Bites Cliff, The Godfather Part 3, on top of all of the Sam and Diane relationship back and forth throughout the season. That's a lot. That's a fair amount, yeah. Puzzle cues for days. <laughs> I can't move for puzzle cues. Yeah. I mean, uh, who are your standout couples through this season? Then? Oh, Fraser and Lilith. Mm. I think as the, I mean, let's be honest, as the Sam and Diane relationship was getting a little dry and tiresome, this is Fraser and Lilith injected some life into it. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I think that dynamic is, is really good. I think they, they have really good on-screen chemistry. And this is the thing. When, when I look back at the season, those two episodes, they're the ones that stand out. And which I think says a lot for, for the casting and the writing of those episodes as well. Yes. I echo your statement that with Diane gone, it will almost have to be a, a reset for whatever love interest the main character has, the main character of Cheers being Sam. With that being reset, I think they'll have to utilise what's been built up with other characters. Which I think is exciting. I'm excited. I tell you what, another uh, running theme which I saw through this season is home. What makes a home? A house. What makes a house a home, yeah. A house is not a home being one of the episodes, but House of Horrors with formal dining and used brick. Of course, Carla gets her home. Thanksgiving orphans, where the family, the Cheers family, all come together in this house to celebrate a family. And we get to see like that 
house be filled with all of Carla's stuff. And we get like a nice family dinner. Dinner at eight-ish, we see a lovely new home where Lilith and Fraser starting their lives together. And then Cheers the Motion Picture. That's an episode all about Woody trying to establish a, a home for himself. Maybe I was too harsh in my initial statement that the themes don't connect in this season. Yeah, I mean, I, I found them like, because we've talked like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure season one to four, we've talked about legacy as being the running theme. This seems to be legacy through family and sort of establishing roots. Mm, yes, and what do you leave for others, yes. See, that was my hot, hot take on this. That is a hot take. And then, of course, this kind of comes to head. I suppose that's actually what, what the final is, is it's legacy of what you do or what you make kind of thing. Yes, no, and that's that folds into another big theme, which is self-actualization, you know, being the best version of your, yourself. Mm. We've talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs uh, and that being, you know, one of the the peak. And the norms way down, down at the bottom, just satisfied with that. <laughs> Norm is, yeah, quite near the bottom. He needs sustenance, food and drink. A sharing platter for two for one. Food, drink, shelter. Norm's happy. Yeah. Which mm. I think is good. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think that idea of you said self-actualization, that's definitely in there as well. Especially I think Fraser comes to terms with the fact he is kind of a, a sort of not washed up psychiatrist. He's accepted that he's done actions in the past which have been a hindrance to his career. But I think he feels like he can play more in the world of cheers, poking fun at what he was. And we mm-hmm. kind of get that with Simon Finch where he can poke fun at people that are essentially what he was a season ago, who are kind of pompous and up their own professions. That's a, that's a nice way to say it. Actually, in episode 25, which is A House Is Not A Home, Fraser says, Well, it's not easily put into words, Wood. Perhaps it has something to do with my relationship with Lilith. And perhaps it's just a maturity that comes with age. All I know is that I feel I finally know who I am. And I'm happy with that person. And if that's not self-actualization, I don't know what is. Oh. Do you know, uh, that, that kind of reminds me a little bit of, um, you know, when uh, Fraser and Woody are playing chess and he kind of says failure is a big part of maturity. Fraser's had a lot of failures and it feels like he's kind <laughs> of, uh, kind of, uh, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense now. You know, he's, he's become more comfortable with himself through these failures, through uh, being jilted at an altar, <laughs> through being a, a janitor in Cheers in season four, I think. If we compare it to who he first was when he arrived, he was very odd. He was a very unusual mm. man, even for Cheers standards. But he's sort of found his place in Cheers as a bar. And as you say, he's found that home. Mm. I'm glad he's sticking around. Oh, yeah. It took him a while <laughs> to get his main main cast, but now he's got it. He's, he's not. Uh, I'm not leaving. <laughs> I tell you what, as we move through, James, should we go into our favorite episodes? Yes, I think you won't be surprised by what my... I think I've said before uh, earlier in this episode that my top five are easily some of my favourite episodes Mm. of Cheers. Should I start at number five and work up and you can do the same? I will say I really, really struggled. I'm struggling to find the top ones. The bottom few, I went probably these (laughs) ones, but the top, it was very close. Let's go then, James. You kick it off with your number five. My number five, Simon Says. Oh. Yeah. Liked how snide John Cleese was. <laughs> James, that's not even in my top ten. We're going to have very different lists. He didn't He didn't go full Cleese, but he, <laughs> he was extremely salty. Okay, James, my, I'm number five, young Dr. Weinstein. Oh, I can see why. That okay. is ranked fairly high on my mm. list. 
Yeah, number eight on my list. I love the farce. My number four, which I think probably very high for you, Spellbound. That's, yeah, that's a number nine for me. Ooh. Yeah, breaking tradition, yeah. Got goosebumps. Ooh. <laughs> that's breaking tradition for me because normally Dan Hedaya episodes, whew, straight to my list, yeah. That's what I'm saying about this season was like very hard to pick. My uh, number four was Abnormal Psychology, James. Yes. Which uh, I'm sure we'll talk about more because I think it will probably be coming up in your list soon. Oh, it's, it is coming up soon. <laughs> I'll give you that. My number three... When you hear this is number three, you know how good the top two are. My number three, Thanksgiving Orphans. So that's not yet to come for mine, but that is coming for me, James. My number three was Cheers the Motion Picture. Oh. Which I thought was hilarious. One of my favourite episodes. <laughs> I think that would still be up there in the top five of all the episodes so far. I loved it. Such a good episode. But I think what worked was it was so well built up to. And to see the hungry heifer after so much speculation, <laughs> to see uh, Carla's backyard, and to see uh, Cliff on the job, chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. <laughs> uh, my number two, you've said it, is abnormal psychology. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, some of the characters at their best, I think. Yeah. My number two, James, dinner at eight-ish. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. And I suppose you can talk about, uh, well... I'm guessing that might be your number one. It is. It is. <laughs> my my number one was Thanksgiving Orphans, which I suppose are kind of similar episodes to a degree. Dinner parties. Dinner parties, homes. Um, I think it's the first time they've entertained in their new homes. Mm. And, uh, wow. And it was entertaining. <laughs> one's a, a sophisticated dinner. One's a mess. And I think you could probably apply both of those things to both of the meals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For different reasons. Yeah. Uh, Why did you like Dinner at Eight-ish as your number one numero uno? To me, it, and I think I said this to Cheers Weekly a while ago, I Mm. think I quoted Dinner at Eight-ish as my favourite episode when we talked to them, is that it provided some relief from Sam and Diane while still acknowledging and developing that relationship. Mm. It wasn't an episode about them. It was about Frasier and Lilith. But... It allowed everything to develop. It was farcical, but also dialogue-driven. Almost all in that one apartment. Mm. Basically a bottle episode. It's almost like a play, isn't it? Yeah, and it worked very well. Mm. I think it really showed what BB Newith could do. And she got a guest of honour in our newsletter, which we release every month on Patreon. And uh, I think maybe for similar reasons why I like Thanksgiving Orphan so much, was that idea again that it plays out all in the house for the majority, but I love the payoff of all of the characters in a different dynamic. Mm. Uh, and seeing that fight over the TV, going back and forth, seeing which characters would actually effort to fight for it and who would just move themselves. <laughs> um, and of course the food fight as one of the sort of iconic things, but also sort of the, it's not unrequited love, but the sort of uh, tolerance of Diane showing up that Carla yes. gives. Uh, <laughs> and the eagerness that Diane does show up saying gobble, gobble. <laughs> and I think of course that the nod to coach as well within that episode. Yeah, oh, it was lovely. I think, I think that was a standout for me. But what did the critics think of this season? That's a good question. And I've got answers. <laughs> I'm going to say some liked it, some didn't. <laughs> That's my guess. <laughs> Spoilers. 
As of 22nd of April 1987, Cheers was in third place with an average 27.2 rating, 23.8 million households, and an average 41 share. As of October 1st, 1986, revenue from each commercial break was $230,000, and that's dependent on viewership. That's a lot of viewers. At the time of the original broadcast, Kathy Carlyle of the Los Angeles Times felt that Sam and Diane should have been married at the end of the season. On the other hand, Monica Collins of USA Today called Diane a friendless, snotty, selfish snob and was relieved to see her leave the series. <laughs> Monica did not hold back. <laughs> Jeffrey Robinson of DVD Talk found this season a great improvement over four and highly recommended its DVD set. Rated its content four and a half stars out of five and its replay value four out of five. He also thought Woody had improved since season four, but that Diane's departure was poorly written and sad. Adam Arsenal of DVD Verdict graded this season 96% and the acting 95. He found the humour well-aged and praised Frasier and Lilith's storyline. Arsenal called Sam and Diane slightly silly this season, but found Diane's departure heartbreaking. He rated Cheers the Motion Picture and Dinner at Eightish his all-time favourite episodes of the series. That's all 11 seasons. They, they are some of the best ones up there. They are. Nate Mayers of Digitally Obsessed graded this season's style, A- and substance, an A, for memorable moments such as the season finale wedding. He praised Lilith's appearances, though felt she could have been handled better having only appeared in two episodes. I agree. I agree as well. I hope yeah. she comes up more in the next season. Yeah, I hope so. The returning Sternin. <laughs> That's what we call her. Uh, he praised the humour as well-aged, not topical, apart from references to... Reagan and the Soviet Union, and he found it rarely forced. TV Guide ranked Thanksgiving Orphans number seven on its 100 greatest episodes of all time list. The AV Club highlighted its food fighting scene as one of notorious moments of the episode. IGN called Thanksgiving Orphans the fourth best Cheers episode, and I Do Adieu, the season finale, at number one. The Guardian's television critic Stephen Kelly panned the writing of Chambers vs. Malone, which Kelly considered one of the worst episodes. Now, we talked a lot about Chambers vs. Malone, and I think the reason why a lot of people regard it as worse is because it felt like it was forced, and mm. it felt like it was jumping the shark in a lot of ways. And you, you said you saw the clip of the alternative ending when they do get married, and I think that was more what it, the agreement of accepting the proposal should have been where we become a bicker about why they love each other rather than a court case that summons them to get married. And I think that was probably the kind of problem with it, with it too farcical, James. It got too farcical, and also for the <laughs> first half of the episode, we think that Sam genuinely beat up Diane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it's a weird way. I actually forgot about that episode. I tried to blank it out of my mind, James. But yeah, it's, it was definitely a weird one. And I think that's probably one of the low points in the season. I think at the time we said it was sort of a necessary thing that they just had to get past in order to move the plot on. Because I think that came in probably towards the middle of the season and there'd been a lot of episodes of... Episode 13 it was, exactly halfway through. And I think the, the second half of the season was stronger for it. Yeah. They were able to do more and just move past it. It's part of the responsibility when a show is as long as chooses in terms of season length, where you've got 26 episodes and you need mm. to make the story last over those 26 episodes. What do you do, is the question. Yeah, you throw in some curveballs. <laughs> <laughs> like Dog Bites Cliff. 
<laughs> you, you hype it up like it's going to be the big reveal and you, you do dog bites cliff but you still get all the revenue from uh, all of the ads james mm. that's what you do speaking of and we've alluded to this with we knew what eventually was going to happen with sam and diane We'd known for seasons where this was leading in terms of the finale. Something that this season did have as an underlying theme was fate or destiny and the kind of tradition and roles that fed into that. Mm. You know, Sam and Diane always knew that they'd have a wedding. Within that, they knew the traditional ways that weddings should uh, occur and why Diane always wanted Sam to propose, for example. Then propose again and again. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's kind of the thing which happened quite a bit, is that there was a lot of sort of elements to that. And I think that's what they've been building for a while. I think we all, I mean, I, I think we joked quite a lot of times about uh, whenever an event's going to happen, it's going to happen in cheers, <laughs> like a yeah. wedding. And that's kind of where, where it all built to. And we said that everyone was betting in the bar. I'm sure people were betting outside of the show as well in terms of real life audiences. Oh, yeah. If you were a betting man and you didn't know how it was going to end, what would you have thought would happen? Uh, I think they probably would have uh, got married. Would you think they would have got married but become the kind of married with children all in the family type couple where they just argue all the time? I don't know. I think at this point in time, and I think people, some people share this opinion. Uh, that people feel like the show should have ended there and they should have got married and that should have been the end. Don't know what I'll think once we watch the next ones. I'm excited to see where it goes. But I think in my mind, it would have been nice to uh, have a bit more closure around this subject, if that makes sense. I like a definitive end. I, I like things to end. <laughs> yeah, I like, th- I like things to end. I like to, to know that it's, you know, come to a close, some kind of restored justice and peace. And I can g- go to bed and be like, oh, that was a... That was a good, nice show with closure. I'm not sure if people got closure from this. I think I, my money would have been on that they would have got married back in 1987. That's what I would have said. Where would your money been, James? I think my money would have been on them getting married, but being a couple which hated each other in much the same way Norm pretends to hate Vera. I think their relationship would have been quite similar to, to Norm and Vera's relationship. That would have made a great comedy. <laughs> Tune in every week for Sam to slack off his wife, Diane. It wouldn't have been anything new, though. It would have fit the status quo of of relationships in Cheers. I suppose the the only change in dynamic isn't isn't will they, won't they. It's they are, and they're unhappy. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) But I think this this sort of poignant moment in the season and a turning point for the the whole series as a, a whole sort of is what puts it down as probably one of the biggest will they, won't they's. Because they didn't. And I think that's probably, I assume, one of the first times where something that was built up for so long kind of subverted some of those expectations and carried on without and reinvented itself. Yeah, and I think Cheers does that well. We said with Coach and Woody, and there's six seasons left. So I think there's plenty of reinvention to come. I couldn't have said that better, James. Should we jump into some poignant moments from the season? Yes. Well, I'll tell you what, James. I'll, I'll start with some, which I said there were some really iconic moments in this season. One being the Thanksgiving orphans food fight, which I think goes down in TV history. I think the Diane jumping out of the cake is quite an iconic moment as well. Yes. But I think one of my most poignant ones and most uh, enjoyable ones was the Cheers the Motion Picture film. I think I loved every second of it. I've got a similar poignant moment at the end of that where 
Al was the one who kept Woody in cheers. Someone sent him a real simple note to change his mind. What did it say? It said, let your son choose his own path and it will always lead back to you. Oh, how eloquent. But it wasn't signed. Hey, come on, guys. Fess up. Who did it? Not me. Don't look at me. Carla? Yeah, right. I sure wish I knew who it was so I could thank him. Don't mention it, kid. Oh, it's wise. Yeah. Yeah. And he's always been the dark horse in the bar. He always chips in with the wisest of words. <laughs> Sinatra! <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, some of these poignant moments also, also lead into some of my favourite quotes of the season, James. Yes. First being Norm's first hurrah. And it's sort of Diane's telling off of Norm. You make me sick. <laughs> you're a quitter, Norman. No, you're worse than that. You're a non-starter. You don't even try. You sit around the bar all day. You sit around your house all day. You sit around here all day. You sit around life all day. How are you going to feel someday at the end of your life when you're lying? No, make that sitting on your deathbed. And you realize that the only thing you've done in your life is sit around and watch people do things, make things out of their lives. Well, maybe you're right, Norman. Maybe you're... Not meant for success. Maybe you're meant for exactly what you are. Nothing. Doesn't hold back, does she, Diane? It, wow, this is poignant moments, James. <laughs> 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 I've got some thoughts around this. I've said all the mean bits. It does sort of go back to uh, a little bit nicer, where uh, Norm stands up for himself and they find some kind of peace around Norm being who he is. And uh, you said self actualization earlier. That's what it is. And he's, he's happy with himself. It's because if all the people in the bar who Diane would want to sort of say bye to and make peace with as, as a character, Diane. I feel like it's obviously Sam, but I think Norman is probably one of the people that she probably built a bigger relationship with other, other people. Yeah, I think. She doesn't like Carla. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that this gives some of that closure to it. She's always said that Norman's like, the, you're, you're the loveliest man I've ever met because she's one of the people that he'll actually open up to about how he mm. really feels about Vera or when something's actually really got him down. And I think this was a moment that gave a little bit of closure, at least to her leaving and seeing his character get that sort of pep talk from her before she leaves. Yes. And I think people underestimate Norm. It's not that Norm lacks intelligence or that he lacks compassion. It's that he is quite comfortable in who he is. Mm. I mean, we joked earlier about that Maslow hierarchy where he's pretty low down in what he, what he needs and wants. But I think that's, you know, I think this kind of identifies that that's kind of all right. Yeah, He's in like an accountancy job and to get by and enjoy the little things where you are sitting around a bar all day, you are sitting around a house all day and just sort of still at least having friends, having a wife yeah. to talk like, you know, I think it kind of plays up to that and probably, you know, that's a lot of people's experiences. Yeah. And he is very much, as we say, the, the everyman. He takes those moments. And enjoys them. In another Ted Danson sitcom, it touches a lot on philosophy, uh, The Good Place. And the character of Jason has a similar outlook in that he's often portrayed as the dumbest character, often portrayed as the character who doesn't really make much sense. But throughout the whole show, he's also the one who finds joy in the littlest of things. Hmm. And really has probably the biggest heart and gets yeah. solves most of the problems, I think. Are there any other poignant moments through the season, James, that, that you picked out? I mean, that's obviously the big one, but... <laughs> well, that well, that was a big one. I, I think that 
Dr. Simon Finch voice telling Sam and Diane that they couldn't be together, wouldn't be together. I think that was a big one. I think Diane realising that she can't dance in front of the Boston Ballet. <laughs> and it, it was a, it was an amusing moment, but the moment where Frasier actually told her she couldn't dance, she was just heartbroken. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this folds into what Sam said in the final episode, where she thinks she's good at so many things, but she isn't. What she is good at is writing. Mm. And it's, you know, it's that for a long time, Diane has felt that she's been at a loss as to make the best value to others. And I understand this, you know, I, I, I get that. I, particularly in Diane's case, when you are abandoned in a place and you're forced to find your way in, and make money, mm. when you're always thinking about what you can do that's uniquely you, when you finally find that thing, then you'd be overjoyed. But it was a long struggle for her to get there. Yeah, I, I suppose that's it's all connected, James. We um we said about Fraser having to go through a lot of failure before coming to terms with being, a, not a failure, but maturing through it. And Diane's been through a lot of failure. And I think this is kind of, I mean, Sam says it himself, take your shot kind of thing. Yeah. And I think we've, Norm is a character who doesn't really take his shot. I think Fraser is a character who has, they're all slipping down the Maslow's hierarchy, James. <laughs> uh, but this is kind of, he, he recognises that it's Diane's chance to be a success. But what I find interesting, and Norm's an interesting character when you think about it, because Norm has found success which isn't inherently linked mm. with wealth. Mm. And I think that's kind of what happens. Either you find success in everyday life at Cheers, or you have to find success through some kind of fame and wealth and leave the bar. You either come to terms with and are happy with life, or always want more. Yes, exactly. I think, as Norm called himself a Bruce Springsteen in, in this episode, Norm's first of all, I think a lot of Springsteen songs do address that concept because he, you know, he grew up in, in, in New Jersey, you know, and he wanted to mm. bust out of that town and embrace the world and make something of himself, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's certainly what Cheers does as a venue and as an atmosphere. And, you know, Sam, in the second ever episode of the series, he's talking about the type of women that he likes. Uh, you know, he likes simple women. He likes... He likes hot dogs and ball games, you know, and he's very accustomed to having in, and enjoying the simple aspects of life mm. without looking or requiring anything more. And he's matured in those five seasons in that he is looking to settle down at about age 40 something. But the big question that this season has asked is much like what makes a home, what makes happiness? Whew. These, these poignant moments cut deep, James. That's, yeah, I think that's a, a strong takeaway from this. I bet you weren't expecting <laughs> this audience. You were expecting, oh, oh, well, for, these seasons were fun. <laughs> Diane's gone. Oh, what was she like, Diane? Not, yeah. are we really, truly happy? We're, we're way past snack on those facts now, James. <laughs> <laughs> now we're just sad. <laughs> sad on those facts. <laughs> I tell you, uh, sad on those facts. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take us to uh, a darkish moment. Uh, well, this is the goodbye, yeah. which I want to talk about a little bit, which is the, obviously the line, have a good life. And I think the thing which tells us as an audience that this is the end of Diane's chapter in, in the bar is the fact every other time she's left, it's been on bad terms, kicking and screaming and shouting, this is the last time you'll ever see me. And 
this is the opposite of that, which hints that she is not returning, you know, and Sam recognises that as well. It's a real bittersweet moment, which, as we talked about in the finale, has a lot of dramatic irony because they're both, more so Sam, they're both pretending to be happy despite knowing the facts. Well, they're actually opposites, I think. Sam pretends to be happy but knows the facts. Diane refuses to accept the fact that she won't be back. Hmm. Sad on those facts, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what makes it so poignant in relation to everything so far. In of itself, you can tell it's a bittersweet moment, but the depth to it is not necessarily known without studying Mm. the five seasons as a whole. And I think it'll be interesting to see where they pick up next time. Yes. Does this bring us on to a little bit of an award ceremony, James? Oh, Cliff's at the door. Cliff's at the door with awards (laughs) to brighten us up. Thanks, Cliff. Bye, Cliff. (laughs) Do you want to kick off with an award, James? Both of my awards have puns. You'll be glad to know. Uh, This one is I'll, spelt A-I-S-L-E, I'll be damned. And it's the engagement with the worst outcome. (laughs) There's a a lot to choose from. (laughs) Do you want to hedge your bets as to some of the nominees? I feel like Money Dearest is probably the worst outcome, but I will await your verdict, James. Well, the nominees are Sumner and Diane, Sam and Diane, Frazier and Diane, (laughs) (laughs) Coach and Irene Blanchard, as you said, Esther, Ma, Clavin and Duncan Fitzy Fitzgerald. And that is, yeah, the worst, worst outcome where he had a heart attack at his bachelor party. And sadly, there was no wedding. I tell you what, though, it doesn't have the most heartbreak. Esther got over quick. <laughs> I've got uh, one, James, which is limited to season five, which is hotel hijinks. Oh, yeah. Surprisingly, we visited a lot of hotels in, in season five. We had the Cape Cod. We had Dog Bites Cliff. That's another mm-hmm. hotel. The Ritz for that one. That was the Ritz, yes. There must be another hotel episode. Well, I'll let you know with the nominees, James. As you said, we've got Dog Bites Cliff at the Ritz with uh, Madeline Keith, played by Anita Morris. Yeah. Uh, we've also got The Cape Cod, which was a romantic weekend getaway to The Cape. Sid Conrad and Catherine White played husband and wife as Sam paid them to uh, make noises in the <laughs> in the bathroom. Uh, I've, the quote here is, I promise you no weird stuff. I just want you and your <laughs> wife to go into the bathroom and make some noises. And of course, James, John Cleese and Ray Underwood as Dr. Simon Finch-Royce and the busman in Simon Says uh, have a conversation about piping hot soup before John Cleese goes, not quite full Cleese. (laughs) And I think that's got to be the winner. Oh, yeah. The strange fascination with soup, that man. (laughs) Do you want to hear my my other award? It's another pun. I would love to, James. I call it Summoner Lovin' Happens So Fast. (laughs) Loving the punnage. <laughs> Sumner loving had me a blast. Anyway, uh, it's the best Sumner episode. Simple. Give me a ring sometime. I do adieu. And of course, uh, how could I forget Sumner Returns? <laughs> Sumner's Return, exactly. They were season five, episode 26, I do adieu. Season two, episode five, Sumner's Return. And of course, the pilot, give me a ring sometime. But which one was your winner, James? Uh, my favourite is, of course... Give me a ring sometime. The episode that started it all. I can't, yeah, I got a, that was a good episode, wasn't it? Someone got sleazier as they went on, though, I think. <laughs> <laughs> he seemed a little drunk in the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> He'd just been drinking for five years. 
Do you have another award or? I do have another award for you, James. Mm. Uh, fine dining. Through season five, we got to uh, see quite a few meals being uh, had. Any standouts for you before I list the nominees of season five's best meals? It would be the fancy French one at the cafe. It would be the dinner Nick presented for Loretta in Spellbound. Lilith's not quite lasagna. <laughs> Two fudge sundaes in Cape Cod. You've, you've thought it outside the box, James. You got more than me. <laughs> Uh, oh, Hungry Heifer Sharing Platter for Norm. I'll tell you which ones I got in my uh, nomination, James. Of course, the questionable lasagna and dinner at Atish. Questionable lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the fancy meal at the calf with uh, young Dr. Weinstein. Uh, the Hungry Heifer's Platter for two, for one. Uh, is the motion picture. And of course, the Thanksgiving Orphans Potluck Food Fight. You mean wallpaper? Wallpaper, yeah. <laughs> it's like the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing the Thanksgiving dinner one. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who could resist the the mashed potato and the uncooked birdzilla? Ooh. Got, got some awards for favourite guest actors as well. You could probably guess who my favourites are, but I'll mention some worthwhile nominees. Francis Sternagen as Esther Clavin. This is just Ooh. a nominee, John. <laughs> Hasn't won. Amanda Wiss as Beth Curtis. Jay Thomas as Eddie Lebeck. Brent Spiner as Bill Grand, and Michael Maguire as Sumner Sloan. Those are all nominees, not winners. Who are some of your favourite guest actors? Well, i tell you what, James. I'll defer, because I think we'll probably have the same winners, and you've mentioned a lot of the good ones. So who, who are your winners? Uh, B.B. Newith as Dr. Mm-hmm. Lilith Sturden in episode 4 and 20, and John Cleese as Dr. Simon Finchvoice in episode 21. I think I'd agree with those. I think that's it for the awards, James. Now we've got some letters, some good trivia. Ooh, exciting. i got a little bit of trivia for you, James. All right. So uh, some, some episodes in season five are uh, some favourites of the cast. But what episode has Kelsey Grammer went on record saying was his favourite? Uh, dinner at eightish. Yeah, this is an easy question to start with. <laughs> they get a little bit harder, <laughs> but you are correct. Speaking of main characters, put the main characters of these first five seasons in order of episode appearances from least to most. Extra points if you know the amount of episodes. Four people are tied in the first spot. There are 13 points available. Well, I feel like Coach would be number five then. He is not. Coach comes in at number three. He, he's appeared in... In the third least amount of episodes, there are two people who have appeared in less episodes than Coach. Which is Cliff and Woody. Woody has appeared in the least amount of episodes with 52 episodes. Cliff comes in at number two. Almost all episodes, but one episode he did not appear in. Ted Danson, Shirley Long, George Went, and Rio Palman are all in number one. That's correct, yes. How many points do I have? You got... Five points out of a possible 13. That's not too bad. The person who appeared in the least amount of episodes is Woody with 52. Slightly above that is Frasier with 54. Jump up a little bit to Coach with 70 episodes. A big leap again to Cliff with 120. And then the four actors you've mentioned there, all 121 episodes. James, I'm going to follow up with an equally difficult question. What is Rhea Perlman's favourite episode from all of Cheers? From all of Cheers, and it will be one in the first five seasons. It's going to be a Carla-centric one. 
Is it truce or consequences? No, James. It was Thanksgiving Orphans from oh. season five. Yeah. Ah. A fan favourite and also real Pullman's favourite. I thought the curveball was too curved. <laughs> I went early doors is what I did. Now this one, this is probably the most difficult question that I've ever asked on this podcast. We talked about baseball a bit earlier, right? Mm-hmm. A special scene was filmed during this season to tie in with Game 3 of the 1986 World Series. But what was the result at this point? How many games had each team won? Point for the name of each team and a point for an accurate score. The, the Red Sox. One point. And the New York Yankees. Oh, you're close, but no points there. Do you think you can guess the score just before game three? So two games were played. What was the score? One each. No, 2-0 to the Red Sox, the other team being the New York Mets. Uh, so that, that should have been easier than I made it. I'll follow up with a question. Throughout the seasons, we've been getting more and more episodes that veer out of the bar. In this season, how many episodes just take place in the bar? And I'll put a slight asterisk to say this is from memory, <laughs> so I could be wrong. Eleven? From my memory, James, I only got seven, which was uh, Money Dearest, Tan and Wash, Everyone Imitates Art, Book of Samuel, Spellbound, Never Love a Goalie Part 1, and Part 2, and The Godfather Part 3. Cheers the motion picture? Well, I counted that as they visited the Hungry Heifer and they sort of uh, went a bit outside the bar. I suppose that's a, a kind of a double one. One last fling? I said it was from memory, James. I said it was from <laughs> memory. <laughs> the point of the question really was to say that they're diverging away from the bar a lot. Yeah. Some of the writers put down the fact of uh, the Sam and Diane relationship taking precedence over the bar theme. So I'm excited to see where we or where we don't go in the next seasons. Huh. Yes. <laughs> but I could have done the research to get a, a definitive answer, but you know. So, so 11, <laughs> maybe. That's that's last call. Last call of uh, for of flabbergasted. Last call <laughs> of the all five seasons so far. Yeah. A, a momentous last call, James. Yeah. But, uh, what are we going to be drinking for this episode to, to celebrate? Well, I'll tell you what, Flaming Moes, we got on tap yeah. over on our Patreon page. If you, if you want more Cheers-related content, head over to our Patreon, where you can sign up and launching today as well, releasing today, is our review of The Simpsons, Season 3, Episode 10, Flamin' Moe's. A classic. Yeah, with some classic Cheers parody in there, and some slightly salty takes on Diane's exit from the show. Ooh. <laughs> if not a Flamin' Moe's, then certainly a shot, because, like Diane, we're not throwing them away. I like it. You're going to take your shot. I can I can agree with that, James. So uh, raise our shot glasses in the air to toast off this season. Draw it to a close. Oh, opening the new box set next time. Yeah. Come join us in season six. You know what it would be called, John? There's six seasons left. It would be called a six pack. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. Join us next week where we'll be opening up a new six pack with uh, fresh new drinks, good laughs. I think I think that's I think that's deserving of a shot. Exciting times ahead. So as always, thank you for listening to Where Nobody Knows Your Name. This has been a Cheers podcast. Have a nice life. Have a good life. Nice. Mm-hmm.